This audio is from South Fellowship Church, located in Littleton, Colorado. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor here. It is a joy to have you with us this morning. If you're new, uh, you're coming in on the last Sunday of our series that we're doing, and we're calling it Upside Down, exploring uh, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. It was a group of uh, men that he uh, had a few run-ins, that's to say it lightly, during his earthly ministry here. He had a few run-ins with them. And over the last 10 weeks, we've been exploring how Jesus uh, would correct them, uh, sometimes gently, sometimes not so gently, and uh, lead them back to his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Uh, Matthew 23 is where we're going to camp out this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23. Uh, we, uh, on Halloween night, we went out as a family and, and trick-or-treated all around our neighborhood and, and had a great time. And um, Kelly and I had a great time eating all of our kids' candy when they went to bed that night too. Um, we, we've had this sort of like tension going on with our kids over the last few days because they see these, um, these pails, these uh, like jack-o'-lantern pails with all of their candy in them sitting on top of the fridge. And so like when I get up with my four-year-old Ethan in the morning at about 7 a.m., his first question is, can I have some candy? Um, and of course, since I'm not a horrible dad, I say, no, no, you may not. Um, and he has a little bit of what I would consider uh, stubbornness in him. And so his method of trying to get more candy is like a river running through rock. I'm going to try to wear you down. And so, I mean, it's throughout the whole day. Can I have some candy? No. Can I have some candy? No. No, you may not have any candy. Stop asking. And he does this, did this new tactic this week where I just wanted to say... Bravo. <laughs> Help yourself. He says to me, Dad, have I told you that you're the best dad in the world? <laughs> and at first I'm like, well, no, son, you haven't. Well, thank you. Speak on. And he said, well, can I have some candy? <laughs> Day and night, the kid is relentless. I'm trying not to, to squash that in him because I think it'll serve him well and hopefully the kingdom well someday. My daughter, on the other hand, is different. While I'm interacting slash arguing with my son about, no, you may not have any candy, she's a little bit more passive aggressive, and she goes and climbs up and gets said bucket of candy and goes and sits in the living room, where then you go find her with a bunch of wrappers all around her and chocolate all over her face. Doesn't even ask, just helps herself. And when you call her on it, hey, Avery, uh, you weren't supposed to eat any candy yet. She said, what are, daddy, I didn't eat any candy. Sweetie, you have chocolate all over your face, okay? Like, just come clean. So Kelly and I, we've tried to set up some parameters for them because otherwise they would literally the first night eat their entire bucket of candy until they made themselves too sick to even stand up. See, because we love our kids, we set some standards for them. And we, we set some parameters, we set some hedges for them. You know, you can't go run in the street and play because there's cars that are coming. We, we love them, and so we tell them when the things that they're doing are going to hurt them. See, for a long time, I thought when I read Jesus' words that he wanted something from me. I thought like that, that he was lacking in something, and so he wanted something from me. He wanted my, my rote, duty-driven obedience. But as I've read the scriptures more, I, my mind has shifted that I'm not so sure that God um, wants, primarily wants something from me. I think he wants something for me. 
want something for me. And in the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, uh, Jesus is going to call the Pharisees out. I mean, it's going to be this no holds barred, just wrestling match. He is going to call them on the carpet, but he does it. He does it. He does it. And please hear me on this because he loves them and he's for them. And so my, my prayer today has been, uh, and throughout this whole week as I've thought about this passage is, man, w- my prayer for you is that as God stirs things up in your soul through his word, that your first thought would be, Jesus, where are you inviting me to? Where are you inviting me to? And what type of freedom do you want me to walk in that I'm not currently walking in? Jesus, what do you want for me? And you see, Jesus confronts because it would be unliving, unloving to let untruth go unaddressed. And see, we know this in our human relationships, but I just want you to hear it from him, that he loves you enough to say, I'm unwilling to let you continue to walk in patterns that are just destroying your life. I want to stir up some things. And so there's times where that can be painful. There's times where that can hurt, but I want to invite the Holy Spirit to, to tenderly yet firmly work in our souls today to stir up some things in us. See, Matthew 23 is the last time that Jesus teaches in the synagogue. It's his last sort of um, uh, the public teaching in that setting, and it's almost as though he gives these, um, what are typically called these seven woes, and says, all right, Jesus, out, after he's done. He lets these sort of sit with this group of Pharisees. And they sit and they sit and they sink. His desire is that they would sink further and further into our souls because he loves us. And it would be unloving to let untruth go unaddressed. Uh, Jesus says it in, in a similar way in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, where he says uh, to the Jews who'd believed him, if you abide, if you remain, if you obey, In my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. Isn't that interesting that that this um, act of obedience, of following God and putting into practice the things that he teaches, leads us into an ability to know that what he says is true. So truth most definitely has an objective nature to it, but it also has this subjective nature to it. Jesus says, as you live it, you're going to go, yeah, that's absolutely 100% true. And you will know that truth, and the truth will set you, what's that word? Free. Do you know that's his desire for you? So as he stirs up some things in the Pharisees, as he stirs up some things in us, for us to look at it as, Jesus, what is the truth that you're inviting me to live in that right now I'm not living in? What's the freedom that you want for me that maybe I don't even want for myself right now? And Holy Spirit, how might you stir our hearts to lead us to respond to what Jesus teaches? Matthew 23 His last teaching in the temple, he says this in verses one through three. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. 
um, just a really quick time out. Uh, a lot of debate amongst scholars as to whether or not this was a literal seat or whether it was uh, Jesus' way of saying, because you teach uh, the Torah, because you teach the Old Testament of the scriptures, you have an authority that Moses had. As you unpack what Moses said, you sit proverbially on his seat. Um, it's also the word in Greek that we get our English word cathedral from, just a, for a free side note. So, do and observe what they tell you. Isn't that interesting? Jesus points at the Pharisees and says, hey, there, there's some things that they're teaching that aren't all bad, but not the works that they do. So, it's possible for us to say the right things. But Jesus says that, that, that living the right way, that orthodoxy, right belief, needs to correspond with orthopraxy, the way that we actually live. And he goes, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Don't do what they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. So Jesus, I'm going to point out three or four indictments that Jesus brings against the Pharisees. The first one is this word hypocrisy. He goes, well, the way that you live doesn't add up with the way that you teach. There's a, there's a difference there. There's something up there. There's something wrong with that. You say one thing and then you live a completely different way. Uh, later on in, in verse 13, Jesus is going to say, but woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says it again in verse 15, and all of these seven woes in some way, shape, or form revolve around this idea. Now, this word hypocrite, uh, we hear it, and, and it has a negative connotation. Uh, back in the first century, though, before Jesus started using it in this way, uh, people would not have heard it in a negative way. A hypocrite was simply an actor a performer, uh, somebody who put on a show. So if you were to go and see a play, you would have said, bravo, I mean, just brilliant hypocrites up there. It sounds weird now, but for them, Jesus turns this word. He turns it to say, hey, you're Pharisees, you're acting. You're playing the part, but your heart isn't there. I can sympathize with the Pharisees on this one. I can sympathize with them because uh, I think their theology backed them into this corner. Their theology wasn't all bad, it was just incomplete. And that's often what happens when we have an incomplete theology. See, they had this understanding of the law, of what God required of them. And their understanding of what God required of them was not all wrong. Their understanding of what God did when they didn't add up was... So they had this understanding of the law that said, if I don't obey, then there's no hope for me. And Jesus came along and said, well, the grace of God is sufficient for you and your power is made perfect in weakness. And they had this idea that I need to obey. And their idea of the law was, if I can obtain it, if I can make this work, if I can do this, then I'll be good enough. And Jesus comes along and says, you're never gonna be good enough. You're never gonna be. You need a, a completely different kind of righteousness, but I can sympathize with them because where are you left when your idea is, I need to be perfectly obedient and you know you're not? Well, then you start playing the part, don't you? Then you start acting. 
And you start pretending like you've got it all together when you really don't. I think a lot of us, our understanding of law and grace leads us to the same place. We know on this sort of like core base level that we don't add up, that we don't make the cut, that the law condemns us, but we don't know what to do with that. So we wear the mask and we play the part and we do the dance and we sing the song. And I think what you hear here is that Jesus, it breaks his heart when this is what we need to resort to, when hypocrisy, when when acting is where we need to go because it simply means that we have no clue about his goodness and his grace. As I thought about this idea and this word, there was, I wanted to sort of unpack, all right, what happens in our soul when we go there? When hypocrisy is what we're left with, when we need to pretend and we need to play the part. I think the first thing that's devastating for us is we have this ability to actually start believing our own performance. So my son was Batman for Halloween. And when he put on this, and, and by the way, their costumes are just so much better now. They have like built-in muscles and stuff. Just waiting until they have like dress shirts like that. We're like, hey. Um, so, <laughs> yes, I have been working out. Thank you for asking. And so, and so he has this costume on, he puts this mask on, and he stands on top of the couch, and he goes, I'm Batman, and he jumps off the couch, like, trying to fly, and I'm like, no, 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 you're Ethan. You're still Ethan. You have the, you have the costume on, and you're playing the part, but I started to go, man, Lord, how much of the time do I do that? I start to actually believe some of the masks that I wear, where like I start to believe that, um, that in many ways I, I'm, I'm just, I'm doing okay. Man, can I just tell you, for me right now, that's a mask. And I say that just in, in openness and vulnerability with you, but man, in a lot of ways I'm not okay. In a lot of ways I'm wrestling with God. I'm going, Lord, I just don't, I don't get this right now. And I, I don't want to wear the mask that allows me to believe in me that I really am okay. Because I want to keep wrestling with God. I want to keep wrestling because that means I'm at least attached to him. I'm going, all right, I'm not going to let go. I need to hear your voice in this. I need to hear you speak love over this. I need to know your presence in this. I don't want to wear the mask that actually blocks me from receiving from you. Even if it's in the pain and the hurt that life often brings. And I think that's the second thing that happens in us is not only do we start to believe it, but wearing these masks, the masks that the Pharisees wear, the masks that uh, you may wear, the masks that I wear, they actually prevent us from being loved and known and valued by the people around us. Because, hey, if they don't know the real you, how can they love the real you? If we're always playing a game, if we're always playing a part, they might love that part. They might love the character that you play. But the haunting thing about it is you know that they don't love the real you because they don't know the real you. In the summit, our young adult ministry, we taught on um, Jacob a while back. And in the life of Jacob, Jacob uh, puts on this mask. He, he pretends to be his brother. And he uh, approaches his dad with this mask on. 
And he hears the words from his dad that he'd always longed to hear. He heard blessing from his dad. But he heard it as though he were his brother. He received it, but he didn't receive it as Jacob. He received it as Esau. It was his. But I just wonder, as he lived a lot of his life nomadically, how many days he just stopped and those words haunted him. Because the blessing was given to him, but it wasn't for him. See, whenever we play this game, whenever we um, are unwilling to be honest and say, listen, this is just really what's going on in my life, we end up in the same spot. Best case scenario is we're loved for somebody we're not. Uh, Worst case scenario, we're rejected for somebody we're not. But either way, it doesn't lead us anywhere good. So, So I think two things happen. One, we start to maybe believe it Two, it prevents us from being loved, known, and valued by the people around us. And I'd say third, um, and, and not in order of importance, but this idea of hypocrisy absolutely crushes any evangelistic witness that, we supposed, that, we, that God intends for us to have. This is the way that Brennan Manning, the, the great author, puts it. He says this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today, if you uh, are a DC Talk fan, it's running in your head, isn't it? Okay, uh, is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. Hmm. See, the same thing, Jesus goes on to say the same thing in verse 13. He says, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you players, you actors, you pretenders, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor do you allow others to enter. Yeah. See, uh, I think here's what Jesus would say to us, is that dropping the mask of perfection actually is the only thing that allows us to pick up the hope of redemption. Dropping the mask of perfection allows us to pick up the hope of of redemption, that honesty about our neediness and our um, uh, time's emptiness is actually what positions us to be filled by Jesus. Do you know that Jesus only fills empty hands? He only writes blank resumes. He will not be an addition. He will not be an add-on. He will not be a nice supplement to what we have going on. He says, would you just be honest and come to me and receive from me. So I wonder what parts we're playing. What parts are we playing? The I'm okay part, the overachiever part, the unwillingness to be open. Here, here's my dream. Here's my hope is that South Fellowship would always be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Um, Because here's the deal. I'm not always gonna be okay. So maybe that's selfish for me. But my guess is that you're not either. And hey, if this is a place where we feel like we have to wear masks, then it simply means that God's grace hasn't penetrated us deep enough to say, I'm okay with being empty because I know that you feel that. I know that you feel that. And so in our, in our life groups, in our adult Bible fellowships, and everywhere, I just want it to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. 
because my guess is that you won't always be okay, and my, <laughs> I know I won't, so. Well, Jesus goes on, and he says this. So his first indictment is, you preach it, but you don't practice it. And they tie heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, and they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You heap these rules, you heap these uh, additional laws, not only what God has said, but then what you've said also, and you tell people they have to do it, and they can't do it, and you don't love them, you don't walk with them, you just watch them, is what he says. So second indictment is the Pharisees, they're just indifferent, They're indifferent to the plight of the world, to the hurt of people who they interact with on a daily basis. They just don't care. Uh, In these seven woes, Jesus unpacks a few of these a little bit deeper. In verse 13 of Matthew 23, he says, um, uh, in summary, you make it hard for people, people that want to walk into a relationship with God, you put up roadblocks for them. He's like, come on. Second thing he says, verse 15, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you actors, you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Wow. You're like, Jesus, settle down. You imagine the people who are now the, the Pharisees, they've heard Jesus teach and they're, they've interacted with him enough to just whisper, just let him go, don't. Do not say anything. Stop. No, you, stop. You got us in trouble once, right? He goes, your invitation that you give people is to a life of fear and guilt and shame. And in many ways, they come into relationship with quote-unquote God, but they're living in a bigger hell than they were before they got there. That's what he says. Did you know, if your thought of God, if your version of Christianity is based around shame and guilt and fear, then it's not relationship with Jesus that you have. It's relationship with religion, but it's not relationship with Jesus. See, because Jesus is inviting us to life and joy and peace, but religion invites us to fear and shame and guilt. Listen to the way that he says this. Jesus says this. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, come to me. Isn't that awesome that we have, we have a God that says, no, I long to be with you. Come to me. Come on. You who are laboring, you who work, you're trying to earn it and are heavy laden, like you're just crushed down by the reality that you could never get there. And he says, I'll give you rest. Um, If your version of Christianity says to you, work instead of rest, I would submit it's not of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. His yoke is his teaching. So he's not saying, I don't have anything for you. What he is saying is that as you walk in my ways, as you're obedient to what I teach, it's going to be light. It's going to be freeing. It's going to be life. It's going to be joy and peace and love. It's going to be good. (laughs) And you'll find rest for your souls, he says. For my yoke is easy and my... Burden 
is light. You know, one of the things I love about what Jesus says in this passage, as he condemns the Pharisees for being indifferent, he implicitly states that he is not. He's not indifferent. He's not indifferent to the pain that we walk in these doors with, the hurt that maybe is sometimes all-encompassing. You need to know that he's with you in that. Maybe that's all you hear today is that he's with you in that. I want you to hear it. He's with you in that. It's a lie that the enemy loves that you believe when you think that he's indifferent to whatever it is you're going through. He's not. He's not. See, here's the way I'll say it for us this morning, is that freedom from the burden of religion allows us to love people into his kingdom. See, what is the good news anyway? This word we use, because gospel, it literally means good news, but it's simply this, announcement, declaration about how good God has been and how gracious and merciful he's been. It's not good instruction, it's not good advice, it's not a good example, it's simply an announcement. I've been gracious and I've been good and I love you. And see, as we've seen in this journey that we've taken with the Pharisees, we have two choices. We can either try to earn love from God or we can receive the love that he's already given And your ability to receive the love of God will determine how you interact with every person around you. And see, when we're performing for for God, we're unable to love the people around us. But when we stop the act, when we stop the play, when we just say, this is who I am and all of my frailty and brokenness and neediness and we receive his grace, something happens in us that frees us, unlike the Pharisees, to love the people around us. And isn't this Jesus's command anyway? Leading up to this passage that we see in the temple, he is asked, what's the greatest command? And Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first command. And the second, he says, is like it. So you ask for one, but I'll see your one and I'll raise you another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he boils 613 laws down into love God, love your neighbor. And then he makes this statement that's just breathtaking. And these two commandments, on these depend all the law and the prophets. Like literally, everything else hangs on this. Are we gonna love God? Are we gonna love People, you see, the freedom from the burden of religion will actually release you to love the people around you. Love the way that um, Rick Warren said it recently, and he says this You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So I wonder who is God calling us to quote unquote lift a finger for? He goes, you're, you're willing to heap the laws on them, but you won't help them out at all. But I think Jesus is inviting you and I to be people out of the overflow of the goodness of God within us to move with them and lift a finger to help. So as I ask that, my, my, my feeling is that God probably brings somebody to your mind. My hope is that he does. What might it look like for you this week to step out and really love that person? 
Well, Jesus goes on. And he says, they do all their deeds, the Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. So the way that they dress, the way that they act, the things that they do, it's all centered around this idea I mean, they wanted others to look at him and go, man, that's impressive. Here's the indictment Jesus brings against them. This need for approval that drives almost everything they do. And he calls them on it. The little boxes that they wore on their uh, forearms and on their foreheads. They were just a little bit bigger than necessary. It was their way of saying we're holy, we're spiritual, we're people of God, and you are not. It was a first century bumper sticker that they wore on their forehead. Now, not all bumper stickers are bad. You don't need to go scrape yours off, but, but it was their way of making a point from a distance. We want you to think something about us. We want you to draw some conclusions about our holiness, about our piety, about how good we are. Their fringes were long. These were these little tassels that hung off of their outer garments. Uh, They weren't wrong in and of themselves. It says that Jesus uh, wore this, but the length of them. He says, they're they're a little bit longer so that people will look at you and go, wow, impressive. Didn't know you were that holy, that spiritual. Jesus calls them on the same thing when it comes to the way that they pray, pray and the way that they give. Listen to this. Matthew chapter six, verses one through two and five, read like this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that it's seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who's in heaven. Wow, that's, I mean, Jesus is, is not mincing words. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. I mean, can you imagine that? Before they give their tithe or their offering, they sound the trumpet. Cha-ching. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. So here's what he says. Here's what Jesus says. If the applause of people is what you live for, the applause of people you may get, but it's all you get. And he says, wouldn't it be better to give in secret and receive the applause of heaven, to be filled with the joy of knowledge and knowing that you are building the kingdom of God? He goes, that's so much better than the short-lived applause of people. He says the same thing about prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Just brilliant prayer. Awesome. And he goes, yeah, truly I say to you, they've received their reward in full. See, they valued people seeing them and loving them rather than seeing and loving I, I had the chance after Hurricane Katrina hit years ago to go to New Orleans shortly after. And as we drove across the bridge into the Ninth Ward, you saw all these houses. 
These houses that were built, definitely um, new building, but on this piece of land that was just absolutely wiped out when the dam levees broke. Uh, Here's the thing that was unique about these houses, though. They were all pink. Every single house in this Ninth Ward area was pink, and I thought, that's really strange, and so I Googled it. And what you'll find out as you look into this is that they're pink because every single one of these houses was purchased by Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. And they made them pink so that you'd know they were purchased by Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. And I thought about that this week, and then I thought about my life and If I'm honest, it's hard to separate some of the things that I do in order to receive the applause of people. My guess is you're probably the same way. And truly living in light of because of Jesus, the applause of heaven. So I had this experience on Friday where I was taking my kids to go get donuts for dad day. I'd take them every Friday to go get donuts. And and this... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure they're organic, okay? Don't, <laughs> sure they are. And so I'm pulling into this left-hand turn lane, and I may or may not have been a little bit late on turning, but the lady in back of me informed me that I definitely was late as she honk laid on her horn. And I thought, how dare you honk at me with my kids in my car, you know? <laughs> and, and Ethan goes, what, what, why is she honking at you, dad? I'm like, She's a moron, no reason, I don't know. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But then we, we pulled into the same spot. I'm looking at my rearview mirror and going, oh, great, she's following me. And in my head, I'm thinking of all sorts of things that I could say to her. And as we pull in to the parking spot, um, I get out and I say, hey, I'm really sorry about that. And everything inside of me wanted to say, hey, really, a little quick on the trigger, aren't we there, lady? I mean... <laughs> But I thought, man, do I really need her approval? Everything in me wants it, but do I need it? Is it going to change anything to hear from her? You see, I think Jesus is so strong on this because he knows that it's only through our humility before the throne of God that we receive and find true life among people. See, when we don't have the approval of heaven, we will need the approval of people. We'll need them to tell us we're okay, but what Jesus wants is for us to receive it and to hear it from him. I love the way that Paul says it when he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So man, as as the Holy Spirit stirs that in us, does he stir anything up in you that rises to the surface where you need to just repent, run back to him and say, Jesus, be enough for me. Be enough for me. Allow the applause of heaven because of the blood of Jesus drown out my need to hear people say, you're okay. Verse eight, we're gonna wrap up here real quick. Verse eight, but you're not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. He makes a few difficult statements here. Um, Difficult only in the sense of trying to figure out how they interact with the rest of scripture for the sake of consistency. Listen to what he says. You have one teacher and you're all brothers. 
and call no man your father on earth. And you wonder if they just looked at Jesus and went, wait, what? No teachers, but Jesus, you've given us teachers and you've given the gift of teaching. And so we're not supposed to call them teachers. And um, you're all brothers, okay? Um, So we're all on the level playing field. That's what he's saying. And uh, call no person father. I think what he's saying is he transitions to the crowd, off of the Pharisees, onto the crowd, and he says, you look to these people to be your teacher when you should be looking to God. You look to these people as better than you, but really they're equals, and you look to them as fathers to care for you and provide for you, but that's really God's role in your life. And he says, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor who is Christ. Here's his point. Will you look up at me for just a second? People will always let you down. If you know them long enough and interact with them deeply enough, they will. So Jesus says the role of people in leadership isn't to point to themselves and say, how great am I? It's to point to him and say, he's great. He's the teacher. If you're, if you're learning something here, he's teaching. That, that's, his, that's his point and continue to look to him. I'm going to let you down. I apologize in advance. I'm never gonna be everything you need me to be. Dan's never going to be everything you need him to be. Aaron's never going to be everything you need. We aren't going to be everything you need us to be. Because what you need us to be is Jesus. And luckily, he's got a corner on that market. (laughs) So we're going to keep pointing to you. It doesn't end on us. We're going to keep pointing to him. He is sufficient. He is enough. He is good. He is the senior pastor of this church. The chief shepherd. So it doesn't end on us. And I think what Jesus would say to us, oh, the indictment is misappropriated praise. They praised and worshiped something other than God. And I think what he would say is that worship of God alone frees you, allows you, invites you to benefit from the gifts of his people. And seeing them for what they are, broken vessels that God chooses to use to point to the unbroken vessel himself. And see, when we get this worship piece right, everything else falls into place. And see, Jesus had these seven woes against the Pharisees. They were, they were indictments against them. They were also invitations for him to stir up the internal workings of their soul to invite them to deeper joy as they followed him into everything that he had for them. And here's what he had for them. In Matthew chapter 23, listen to what he says in verse 37. As he exits the temple and looks over the city, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And listen to his heart in this passage. Listen to his his beating yet broken heart where he looks over the city and he says, How often I would have would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not. We're going to end upside down there with a question 
with a question that he holds out to every single person in this room. Will you come to me? Will you allow me like a a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings? Will you allow me to protect you? Will you allow me to be enough for you? Will you stop trying to do it on your own and simply receive from my goodness? He longs to do it. Would you come under it today and trust him to be enough for you? All right, we're gonna close in prayer. Will you stand up with me? I just wanna spend a moment before you go rushing out, get on with your day, to allow the Holy Spirit to stir in us. Is there anything, Lord, in, in this passage that we looked at today that you would wanna bring to the surface of our life? Any way that we're, Uh, wearing masks, Father, would you allow us to drop them and receive goodness and grace from you? Lord, we don't want to play the part of Christianity. We actually want to follow you, Jesus. So ways that we're playing the part rather than following, would you point out graciously and invite us into fullness of life that comes from actually living with you? And Lord, we don't want to be indifferent to the world around us. We want to enter into uh, the hurt and the pain and whatever burden for people you would have us carry. Would you allow us to do it joyfully, knowing that you've already carried the biggest burden we would ever carry on our behalf? Father, would you allow us to hear heaven ringing with the redemption that you've held out to us? May it free us from the need to hear anything from anybody else. And Lord, would you allow us to be people whose worship and hearts are focused wholly and completely on you. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you for the goodness and the beauty of your grace and your mercy and gospel to us. May we be people who are constantly pushing into that. May we preach it to ourselves daily. May we remind each other of it. May this be a place where it's safe to not be okay. Uh, Because we know that you are. But Lord, we also would pray that this would be a place where we don't stay that way, but that you'd lead us into your presence and your love and your goodness for us. Lord, help us come under your wings today. We love you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This audio was from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship Church, please visit southfellowship.org.